hello East Cobb. It's Reverend Kristen Hyden greeting you again this second Sunday of Easter. We are continuing in the Easter season, continuing to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And so I invite you to join with me in our Easter call to worship that I say Christ is risen and you say Christ is risen indeed. Wherever you are listening, whether it's at home, out in the yard, in the car, I invite you to respond with joy and celebration. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. We are right now in the season of what is called the Great 50 Days of Easter that carries us from the Easter celebration all the way to Pentecost when we celebrate the gift of God's Holy Spirit being breathed upon us. Now, who knows where we will be on that great Pentecost day if we will still be physically, socially distancing, or if we will be gathered back together. But I continue to be grateful for the ways that you all are reimagining what it means to be church and what it means to be a community together. Thank you for who you are and how you live out our great call to be the people of God, to be the hands and feet of Christ in whatever world we find ourselves. This week and next, we will be taking a look at some of those resurrection appearances of Jesus, how he remains with his followers after his death, but before his ascension, when he is risen all the way to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Today's story comes immediately following Jesus' appearance to Mary when she mistakes him for the gardener. It is still Resurrection Day. The disciples have heard the good news from Mary. Mary Magdalene has told them her story, her encounter with Christ, and said to them, I have seen the Lord. And yet, as we get into our passage, we find the disciples not celebrating that Jesus is alive like we would imagine, not having their own big Easter party, but locked away in a room, frightened and alone. I love what commentator Joy Moore says about the current state of the disciples. She writes, the disciples are fearful. Good news does not erase fear. Good news, incredible news, can ignite hope. But even hope does not eliminate genuine fear. So there they were in a familiar place, desperate with unfamiliar fear. An empty tomb isn't enough to confirm all that Jesus promised is true. But what does the resurrection mean? It means God still shows up. I love that. Good news does not erase fear. It can ignite hope, but not eliminate genuine fear. It's okay for us to be living with a mix of hope and fear, acknowledging the good news of Jesus Christ, but still to be a little uncertain and a little afraid.
Here now from John's Gospel, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 19. It was still the first day of the week. That evening, while the disciples were behind closed doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When the disciples saw the Lord, they were filled with joy. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they aren't forgiven. Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in this scripture reading today, as we hear how God shows up for all God's people, we really have two separate stories, right? We have Jesus coming to the disciples and then Jesus's interaction with Thomas specifically. Now in the first story, Jesus comes and speaks words of peace to his followers. Now, I, I believe he does this not only to calm their nerves, to alleviate their fears, but he is coming to speak a bigger peace, a peace, a peace that comes from God and affects their entire existence. The peace he gives them, it is a peace that says, in spite of all the world has done, all, the world that can, all that the world can do and all that the world will do, I am still here. I am still with you. It is a powerful peace to give. And then Jesus breathes this truth into them as they receive the breath of the Holy Spirit. Now that story in and of itself is powerful. There's so much there that we could, could dive into about this peace that Jesus gives, this breath of the Holy Spirit, breath that the disciples receive first and that all of God's people will soon receive at Pentecost. 
but very quickly this story expands, right, to the maybe even more familiar story of Jesus and Thomas. Jesus and how we've come to call him Doubting Thomas. I must admit, I've always hated that Thomas gets that nickname. Why does he get such a bad rap with just these few little verses? I mean, after all, he just wanted what the other disciples got. It's only fair, right? He just wanted to see what they saw. Why should he become the only one who doubts because of it? And after all, if you look at Thomas's role in the story as a whole, he is actually one of the more confident and certain of the disciples. I mean, go back to John chapter 11, verse 16. It reads, Then Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to the other disciples, Let's go too, so that we may die with Jesus. Yes, this is when Jesus is saying to his disciples that he's going to go back to Judea to, to raise Lazarus. And his disciples protest and they say, Jesus, don't you remember the Jewish leaders there? They want to stone you. They want to kill you. We cannot go back to Judea. But it is Thomas. Thomas, who says to them all, let's go too. If Jesus is going to die, if our leader, if our teacher is going to die, then we will die with him. Thomas. Thomas is the one who is ready to die with Jesus. And so it seems only right that he would want to have this experience of the risen Christ. That he would want to know that the one he saw crucified, the one who was on the cross, is now the one who walks and lives among them. It's his turn to have the resurrection confirmed. And Jesus gives him that opportunity. Now, I think it's interesting that we don't know if Thomas actually touched Jesus or was just given the option, right? Scripture doesn't tell us. But whatever happened, it was a monumental experience because Thomas responds with one of the most striking and profound declarations yet to be spoken in John's gospel. When Jesus invites him to touch his hands, to reach out and touch his side, Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God. That is a huge declaration, a monumental proclamation to be made that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Martin Copenhaver, in his commentary on this story, writes, Perhaps it was enough for Thomas just to know that Jesus cared enough to give him what he needed, that Jesus did not despise his doubt. Perhaps it was enough that Thomas didn't really even need to touch Jesus, but to know that Jesus cared enough to give him what he needed. It's part of the truth of the resurrection, isn't it? 
that Jesus cares enough, that Jesus loves enough to give us all what we need. Our passage closes with the words of Jesus. Do you believe because you see? Well, happy are those who don't see and yet believe. As I was reading that over and over this week, I got an image in my mind, the image of, of a movie, right? That we are watching this movie of Jesus and his disciples play out before us on screen. We see Jesus with his disciples. We see Jesus all of a sudden appearing in that locked room. We see him interacting with Thomas and inviting Thomas to see the wounds, to touch his wounds. And yet all of a sudden, Jesus turns. He breaks the fourth wall, as it were, and speaks to us, the audience. Happy are you, though. Blessed are you, because you believe without seeing. You've seen that done in, in movies and television shows, right? I mean, movies like Ferris Bueller, right? Where he's constantly talking to the audience. Modern television shows like The Office or Parks and Recreation. Or even one of my favorites growing up, Saved by the Bell, right? Zach Morris would time out and talk to his audience. The rest of the cast would freeze until he had had his interaction with those of us on the other side of the screen, and then he would time back in. That's what I see and hear Jesus doing. That he times out with his disciples and he turns to all of us to say, happy are you, blessed are you, because you believe without seeing. Right? He reminds us that we aren't just observers of the story, but we are part of the story. We don't just read the words on the page, but those words come out and speak into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. That Jesus calls us blessed because we believe. Right? We believe even when we haven't gotten to see like the disciples saw, even when we don't get the invitation to reach out and to touch Jesus's wounds, to know that the one who was crucified is now the risen one. We don't get to see and believe. Or do we? No, we don't get to see like the disciples saw, but I still think we are invited to see Jesus and to let what we see confirm our belief, to reach out and touch, to know that he is real. I think about this past Easter Sunday, 
right? This past Easter, all the ways that we knew to celebrate the resurrection were gone. So what were we going to do? I know I wrote this on our church Facebook page, but it brought me such joy to see all of your pictures of the communion tables that you had set in your homes for Easter. That was one way that I think Jesus was inviting me and inviting all of us to see how the crucified one is the risen one. Right? That whatever the world threw at us, whatever heartache and heartbreak we were experiencing having to be apart for Easter, came alive again as we celebrated the sacrament. And it wasn't just seeing that we were all celebrating the sacrament, but that we were celebrating it with the the stories and the memories of people and places and experiences that have showed us Christ. Right? Many of you posted pictures of, of plates and of cups and of table settings and where you got them, the people you got them from. And all of that, for me, it pointed to the truth of the resurrection. That nothing can keep us away from the celebration of Christ. Now my kids and I, we celebrated that morning as well. We set out the bread and the juice and my fine china that never gets used, especially by the children. We were still in our pajamas and we put the worship service up on the TV and the family room. We watched the call to worship twice because, well, the kids really like seeing themselves on TV. We sang the hymns along with Mark. Well, I sang. Ruthie Jean joined in on the choruses and Harrison just kind of rolled around on the sofa. It wasn't perfect, of course. We did fast forward through most of the sermon because apparently my kids hear my voice enough as it is. And then we shared communion together. Ruthie Jean held up the bread as I did in the video. Harrison held up the cup and then when RJ reached out to help him because it was so full, he yelled at her and almost spilled the juice everywhere. But it was fine. We all extended our hands over the bread and the juice during the final prayer, and then we dove in, eating all the bread and drinking up all the juice. Ruthie Jean even turned to me at one point and said, Mom, you know the best part of having communion at home? You get to eat as much bread as you want. Yes. Yes, you do. As much Jesus as you want. Now I know we don't get to reach out and touch Jesus's wounds to know that he is real, to know that the risen one is the crucified one. We don't get to open our eyes and see the holes in his hands or the gash in his side. And yet, and yet we still see Jesus all around us. 
We see him crucified, hanging on the cross, suffering and dying. We see him bleeding and wounded in all of the darkness that exists in our world. In fact, it may be that we see the crucified Christ most clearly. But we are an Easter people which means that we are invited to see that same crucified Christ is now the risen Christ. I know that in the face of the darkness of the world, we may want to run and lock ourselves away just as the disciples did. Even when we have the news of the resurrection, even when we know that Christ is risen, we still wonder and we still worry, could it be true? Could there be real, true life after death? Thanks be to God that Jesus is in the business of meeting us where we are. And so he finds us, appearing to us, even behind our locked doors, to show us that it is true to show us that the one who was crucified is now risen, the one who died now lives again, the one who appeared to have succumbed to the darkness now shines more brightly than ever before. May we all live these Easter days proclaiming the truth that Thomas declares, Jesus, my Lord and my God, You are alive among us. You are alive within us. The one who was crucified is now the one who is risen. And blessed are we, who although we did not see your wounds or touch your hands, have seen your love, have seen your grace, living and active in our lives, and in our world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.